They are everywhere, yet we often don't notice them. On today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed, number 93, I speak with Natalie Houston about habits. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. I last welcomed today's guest on to the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast back on episode 34. And if you haven't been listening for a while, that'd be a great one to go back and listen to because in it, she provides such great recommendations and just a whole way of looking at our work in academia and how we think about the term productivity. She's got lots of great advice. So if you want to check that one out, it's at teachinginhighered.com slash 34, or of course, you can also find it on whatever tool it is you use to listen to the show. Today, we're having a conversation which would still be in the realm of productivity, but about something that we run into often, in fact, every day in our lives, but sometimes without even realizing it, and that is habits. But before we get to that part of the conversation, let me tell you a little bit more about Natalie She has a number of roles in her life. She is a personal productivity coach, and we'll have a link to her productivity work and her blog and website at teachinginhighered.com slash 93. She's a certified coach with the International Coach Federation, and she writes about productivity at RE colon focus now, which again, we'll have a link to that through her blog. She's an associate professor in the Department of English at the University of Massachusetts Lowell, and she teaches courses in digital humanities as well as Victorian literature, literary theory, and science fiction. Natalie Houston, welcome back to Teaching in Higher Ed. Hi, Bonnie. I'm so glad to be talking with you today. I know that I I mentioned in your bio that you are, in addition to your academic work, you're also a productivity coach, and you definitely live the life of someone who has a lot going on, and, and I'm excited to talk to you today about habits. Let's just begin with the definition of what a habit is and maybe how you first started getting interested in thinking and writing more about habits. So, I mean, at the most simple level, habits are the things we do all the time without thinking. And habits, they're protective for your brain so that you can actually get through your day. If you had to stop and think every time you tied your shoelaces, which you have to do when you're four or five learning how to do it. But once you know how to do it, you don't have to think about it anymore and you can use your brain power for other things. And so habits save us tremendous time and energy, but they can also lead us to doing a lot of things mindlessly without thinking. I first noticed you talking about habits in your writing in the Chronicle of Higher Ed. And then we were going back and forth a little bit on Twitter. And thank you for making the recommendation of the book, The Power of Habit by Duhigg. 
And I know we're going to be mm-hmm. quoting in that book a little bit, including he talks about just emphasizing what you just talked about, that habits are everywhere. He writes, habits, scientists say, emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. Left to its own devices, the brain will try to make almost any routine into a habit because habits allow our minds to ramp down more often. And it's hard sometimes to even have what our habits are revealed to us if we don't do some serious reflection or some other techniques we'll be talking about a little bit later in the episode. And one of the stories that stuck out to me was having to do with fish. Do you want to share about this next one where he quotes David Foster Wallace? Sure. This was from a graduation address in 2005. Wallace says, there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? The water is our habits. It's the unthinking choices and invisible decisions that surround us every day. But if we look at them, the water can become visible again. We can begin to recognize that we're surrounded by those habits and we can even adjust them. As we talk about the book, The Power of Habit, one of the things we should be cautious about is what it's not. So would you share with us what what it isn't before we talk about what it is? It's not a book that's designed primarily to help individuals change their behavior. It's really a much more broad-based look at habits in a variety of different contexts, including organizational habits, the ways that habits can be used for good or bad within corporations or, or other kinds of organizations, also how corporations are interested in using data to try to understand their consumers' habits. Duhigg has done a lot of research and draws on all these you know, varied contexts, but it's not primarily a book about how you and I can start brushing our teeth every day or whatever. And you're going to give us some ideas for how to help us brush our teeth every day (laughs) in in the latter part (laughs) of this episode. He has this three-step loop as he defines habits where there's first a cue and then some kind of a trigger that tells our brain to go into this automatic mode And then there's routine. And the routines, he says, can be physical, mental, or emotional. And the last step in his loop, as he defines it, is this reward. And he says, quote, which helps your brain figure out if this particular loop is worth remembering for the future. Natalie, tell me about Duhigg's story about the cookie. He has a a great section in the book where he talks about using his model of the three-step habit loop, the cue, the routine, and the reward, to understand and eventually to change his habit of eating a cookie every afternoon when he's at work. He would find himself every afternoon between 3 and 4 o'clock having the urge and mostly following the urge to go to the cafeteria and get a cookie, chat with some people, and then come back to his desk. And so Using the cue part of the loop, he looked at, you know, what is the cue? Is it boredom? Is it hunger? Is it the time of day? He experimented with trying to change the routine. You know, would eating an apple satisfy him? He figured out ultimately that 
the reward that he was really craving was not the cookie itself. It was actually the interactions with his colleagues. And so he was able to substitute just standing up and going and chatting with one of his colleagues for 10 minutes, substitute that for the unhealthy habit of eating a chocolate chip cookie every afternoon. So this model can be really helpful to try to break down and analyze a current habit that you have that you're not satisfied with and then figure out what you could change. Now, I know this brought up some habits from you as well. So what are some of the things that came to mind with your own habits, both as you've read this book, but also through your own professional expertise? One of the most powerful areas I have found, both for myself and for a lot of my coaching clients, is to look at what your habits are around checking email, because that's something that many people default to whenever they have um, a free, supposedly free moment in the day, or they find themselves checking email even when they know they should be spending their time doing something else. And so that's a, that's a habit that can be very helpful to look at, like what triggers that habit. You know, when you find yourself obsessively checking email, it's often because you're bored or you're frustrated with something. Email is rarely going to provide the solution (laughs) to your frustration or your boredom, but it's an easy button that we keep pushing because every once in a while you get a reward from it. It's a random reward thing, much like playing slot machines. And some studies have suggested that when you check email repeatedly, it's affecting your brain the same way that playing a slot machine does. But so looking at when are you checking email and whether it's actually rewarding to you and then trying to create new habits around checking email only at set times during the day, for instance. That's easier said than done, but when you can begin to adjust your email habits to be more mindful, there's tremendous payoff from that. When people that I've spoke with talk about being even unsure whether or not this is a habit that they have, one quick way that I have heard people talk about is just to not even have the button there. So the button's not on a toolbar or if it's on your phone, it's not even something you can tap on to get to or even Mm -hmm. you can shut down the accounts or whatever. My husband, who's been on the show many times too, he talks about that he got off of Facebook. He actually took a break for I think about three months And it was not even an application on his phone any longer. And he didn't have an account or I guess his account was on hold. So even if he had gone to it, there's nothing there. (laughs) But he said he found himself just going and then, but it's not there. And then he realized what a habit that was for him. And just then imagining all the time that he was wasting because he didn't Mm -hmm. feel like he got that much out of it. Exactly. I mean, you can see people doing this all the time. They start typing a document. They start to feel stuck and instinctively they've opened up another tab in their browser and they're scanning news headlines or Facebook or whatever it is. You have identified three steps for creating a new habit. And I know this is something you've written about in the Chronicle, which will link to your article for people to find out more at teachinginhighered.com slash 93. But I'd love for you to share these three steps with us now and a little bit how we can create a new habit. So first and foremost, I think it's important to identify why you want to create a new habit. And, you know, especially at the beginning of the calendar year, around January 1st, lots of people are thinking about setting resolutions or creating habits. And it happens at other times of year as well. But if you're just saying, I'm going to go to the gym more this year, 
but you haven't identified why you want to go to the gym. You're just saying that because you think you ought to. It's going to be very difficult to really follow through on the work of establishing a new habit, which takes some time, and it will feel awkward at first to try to do something new. It takes a while to make a new routine into a habit. They used to say 21 days to make a habit. Other research has shown, has suggested 28 days or 40 days. It takes a while. (laughs) And even after you have a habit in place, it can, you know, you sometimes have to work to pick it back up again. So understanding why you want to go to the gym more often, for one person, it might be to relieve stress. And so focusing on, I want to go to the gym in order to relieve stress, makes it more likely that you'll look forward to doing that activity and follow through on it. For somebody else, it might be focusing on becoming more healthy. People will have different motivations behind what might look like the same activity on the surface. One of the things that I found to be so powerful is after having thought through that why is to have it documented somewhere. And as a part of my monthly review, it tells me to go revisit my annual goals. And within the Mm -hmm. annual goals, when I go and look at them, there's not that many of them. And they all have that why. And it's the first thing that I see when I go to each one of the notes having to do with those goals is the why. And it does actually help me. One of the things I was really encouraged about as I consider, I I am one of those people that does annual goals, but I'm also one of those people that actually does annual goals. (laughs) I actually follow through on them all the way through. And, Mm -hmm. but, but one of the things that a man by the name of Michael Hyatt had recommended, he's got this whole kind of kickoff to your year was that you don't have to accomplish all your goals. I think some overachievers like me think that it all has to get checked off. But as I go back and I look at them, those whys start to get questioned. Like I have there to write a book in 2016. And that question keeps coming up. Why, why, why? And when I was speaking with James Lang for an upcoming episode, he he was saying, why, why do you want to write a book? I don't have a very good answer, I'm realizing. And I have so much passion mm-hmm. for this podcast and what it can do. I'm realizing that maybe that goes on the back seat for at least another year, if not longer. So I think you're so right about the importance of this why and getting real with ourselves. Absolutely. And doing some work to explore your core values will also help make sure that those whys are aligned with who you really are and not some external idea about what you should do. Or even, you know, sometimes we have goals or intentions that are outdated. They're from who we used to be. And it's worth doing some inner work to explore, like, who am I now? And, you know, why do I want to do these things? And sometimes even those external influences, as you said, the culture of academia can be so strong of what what are we supposed to be as a professor? What are we supposed to be as in our particular discipline and so on? Right. So when you have identified the why behind a new habit that you want to create, the second important step is to get very, very clear and specific about how you're going to measure that behavior. Saying, I want to go to the gym more this month is too vague. You need to define that in such a way that an observer could look at you and say, did you do this or not? Because that's essentially what you're going to be doing for yourself, reviewing your behavior and finding out if you were successful. 
So it might be I plan to go to the gym three times a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 4 o'clock. That, that's very clear. And it's easy to say, did I, did I go to the gym on Wednesday at 4 o'clock or not? And so setting a reasonable and realistic target is important. I think some you know, people with strong perfectionist tendencies tend to set unrealistic targets. If you haven't been going to the gym at all, I'm just using this as the example, but if you haven't been going to the gym at all, then saying you're going to go to the gym five days a week is probably not realistic. And if you have a lot of resistance or anxiety around creating this new habit, maybe the realistic goal is to start going to the gym one day a week and build from there. Michael Neal, I think it is, talks about, you know, setting a goal that you could achieve on an average day, (laughs) not on your perfect day, Mm -hmm. right? During an average week, could you go to the gym twice a week? If that's a yes, then that's a reasonable goal. And so sometimes it takes a few iterations to figure out like what's the right frequency or quantity of whatever the behavior is. One of the things I've really loved that I've read, even just about exercise, is the idea of just putting the shoes on and starting. We're going to go for five minutes. And Mm -hmm. you never put your shoes on and just go for five minutes. (laughs) But the idea is that you could just go for five minutes if that was all you could handle on that day. And I, I like that idea of these cues that then help support us into whatever more. For me, I like that my Apple Watch, it does have some of these habits for healthy behaviors built in. And they have these little circles that go around and tell you, for example, one of the habits they try to build is that you stand up for at least a minute for 12 hours out of every day. And it'll tap you on the wrist and go, okay, we need to stand up. Or in that case, they also (laughs) recommend 30 minutes of cardio per day and cardio can even just be a little bit of a speedy walk it doesn't you don't have to walk that fast in order to get your heart rate up enough for it to track it and that's just nice for me my exercise classes are an hour and I do like to do an hour but on my average days sometimes I've got some foot pain from a surgery from about a year ago I'm only going to make the 30 minutes and that's okay that feels good to me that I like that setting a goal you can achieve on an average day that's great Mm mm-hmm And finally, it's really important when you're trying to create a new habit to track your behavior. And and the tracking can be very simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. But you need some way of being able to look back over a series of days or weeks to see how often did I do this thing that I wanted to start doing. And, and so by tracking your, your actions, then you can review, you can maybe adjust your target if you need to. You can problem solve. Like maybe Wednesdays are never going to be a good day to go to the gym, so you need to figure out a different day which will work better in your routine. Because habits often work really well when they're connected to each other. So if your gym is on the way home from the university, then maybe stacking going to the gym after a day of teaching is a good way to fit it into your routine. For example, what you said about just put the shoes on to go out the door for five minutes, creating the habit of setting your workout clothes, setting them out where you're going to see them and put them on first thing. And then once you've got your workout clothes on, well, you might as well go out for a run. One of the things that 
Duhigg talked about in his book too, was just the power of our social interactions. And so I love whenever I find someone at work who wants to de-stress with just a 10 or 15 minute walk. And that can be a great thing where it's the afternoon, we text each other and say, okay, it's time to get outside. And what a wonderful way that is to give me some endorphins in a time of the day when I need it most. I know you have some ideas for people who prefer to go with more of an analog approach. Could you share some of the analog tools that you have identified for creating and tracking new habits? So my favorite tool and one I use in, in conjunction with different digital tools is to put stickers on a wall calendar or to write a check mark on a wall calendar, although I'm partial to the stickers myself. And I actually saw the value of this when many years ago I first did, I did my first 60-day yoga challenge. I'm a, I'm a student of Bikram yoga, hot yoga, and my studio every year would sponsor a 60-day challenge. And so that was 60 classes in 60 days. And the way we tracked it at the studio is that each person who was participating, you know, they printed out a little month calendar for the two months of their challenge and put it on the wall. And then when you finished your class each day, you got to put a star sticker on the calendar for that day. And it was incredibly motivating. It sounds so silly. It sounds so simple, but it really works. As you see the stars mounting, you know, day by day on the calendar, you felt this excitement and this commitment to like, putting another star on the calendar. The, the physical act of writing a check mark or a star or putting a sticker on a calendar, because it's a kinetic action, not just um, a mental, you know, sort of or visual action, it helps reinforce the new behavior. It becomes the reward in Duhigg's terms at the end of the routine of taking the yoga class. And so I have applied the stars on the wall calendar in my own life to all kinds of other habits from, you know, writing habits to other kind of health goals and fitness goals. So that's a really easy, powerful one. And there are a lot of digital tools that mimic the same activity. It's what Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, you can Google him talking about don't break the chain. This was advice he gave to a young comic about how to write enough jokes. Put a check mark on the calendar each day you work on your comedy routine and, you know, you just want to keep that chain of check marks going. To that end, would you share a little bit about Rewire? Yeah, Rewire is an app I've been using recently. It's an Android app specifically for tracking habits. And there are a number of other apps and I linked to some in a recent Prof Hacker post. I really like the design of Rewire. It's very simple. It's compatible with the new Google design so it blends in with the other apps on your phone. And every evening, I think it's 10 o'clock in the evening, it reminds you, it says, be sure to check off your habits for the day. So you get the little nudge to go to the app and, and you just click on the day of the calendar for each of your habits that you've set up in there. And it's very effective. It's very easy, especially if you're trying to track more than one habit at a time. Sometimes the stickers on the wall calendar can be can get crowded, or if you're not near your printed calendar, the app is going to be convenient for a lot of people. 
I tend to like the analog tools for tracking my habits, although I'm still trying to get over my disappointment that NPR no longer has their printed 12-month calendar. It's so sad. But I know that many people have really liked the app called Momentum, and that's an iPhone equivalent to the Android that you've recommended. And then I mm-hmm. shared on previous episodes that for me, it's less about the tracking and more about the nudging creating some kind of a cue that will get me to do whatever behavior it is I should be doing at a given time. And I really like the do app. It's D U E that I've shared about on previous episodes, because if it's something like tracking my eating, for example, that I've been really successful at, I've been successful at it because my little wrist gets a tap a few times a day to say, mm-hmm. have you tracked your food? Have you logged your lunch, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really working well. So the, it kind of goes back to your first step in creating a new habit, which is to identify the why. And part of it is, yes, why we want to adopt this new habit, but also maybe perhaps it's partially identifying why we haven't had success at it in the past and then finding the tools that will help us get ourselves. I don't mean to extend your, your original meaning beyond your intent, but I think that one of the things we should mention before we go to the recommendation segment is that Duhigg talks about what I've heard for a number of years now, which is don't try to break a habit without having a habit to replace it with. And the classic thing is quitting smoking which is not something mm-hmm. I have ever done because I fortunately never started. <laughs> but but the, the idea that you don't just quit smoking without something then to replace the act of smoking. And I know there's a lot of other examples that are out there as well. And that, that's something else I think that um, will be helpful to people as they adopt new habits. Thinking about combining or stacking or swapping habits is also helpful to avoid feeling, you know, deprived. And so, you know, when people want to begin eating healthier, if they're framing that in terms of deprivation, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. I won't be able to eat chocolate cake anymore. Then they're not going to feel much draw towards making this change. But if you focus on adding salad first, like first eat more salad and track that for a while. And a lot of research has shown that when you start a new habit successfully, it, and it, they used to think it had to be certain habits, exercise in particular, and that's what Duhigg calls keystone habits, but recent research says it's really any habit. If you successfully create one habit, it'll be easier to create any others. So that's why that people who successfully create an exercise habit find themselves making more healthy food choices almost unconsciously. Because you're developing what psychology calls self-regulation behaviors that then extend to other areas. And so that, you know, that's a way you can often start with a habit that feels easier to begin with and then build to adding other ones. Well, this is the point in the show when we each get to give a recommendation or a series of recommendations. And I just wanted to mention some posts that I had a chance to read or reread in some cases of Lee Scalarup Bassetts, who's been on the show previously, and she calls them bad female academic posts. And they're just so wonderful to read when whenever we start to have these feelings of expectations put upon us. You mentioned this a little bit, Natalie, earlier in the show. And when we're sort of living our lives according to other people's expectations, and in her case, she shares a lot about the expectations people have of her as a mother and what that's supposed to mean 
and as a faculty member, what that's supposed to mean, and how sometimes she just decides to be what, quote unquote, is called bad. She's going to be a bad female academic and and just writes so eloquently and reflectively about that. And I would suggest that people go and have a look at her posts. She's got them all categorized there of her writing that she's done both on her website as well as for other sources as well. And Natalie, what do you have to recommend for us today? I've been really loving a music service called Focus at Will. So the website is focusatwill.com. It was created by Will Henshaw, who is a musician and entrepreneur. He was a member of the band London Beat, for those of us old enough to remember London Beat. And it's a music service designed, it's based on, you know, neuroscience research. It's music that has been designed to promote concentration. And you can select from a number of different styles of music. One of the important features is that they have, you know, there's no music with words. And they've also minimized the use of instruments that sound like the human voice because that's what the brain goes on alert from hearing. You can also adjust the speed of the, of the music beats. And so people who feel themselves to be easily distracted, people with ADD, often will find it more helpful to listen to music with a faster beat than some other people. But it's a fantastic service. It has built-in timers, so you can set the music to play for 45 minutes, for instance, and, and really you know, focus in on your work. I first found out about it through an interview on the 5 a.m. Miracle podcast, and Will Henshaw also has a TED Talk, which talks about the science behind the service. And when you, get, when you sign up, you get to try it out for, I think it's two weeks for free, so you get to really play around and see if you're going to find it helpful. I use it all the time for concentrated writing and have found it really helpful. It does sound like a wonderful service. Thanks for recommending it. And Natalie, just as we close the episode, what's your one final piece of advice for us as we think about creating new habits in our lives? My final advice would be to be curious about your own current behaviors and to bring that curiosity to bear as you're trying to strategize and develop new habits and to be compassionate with yourself. It can be challenging to create change in your behaviors. All of us have habits that we're less than happy with, and they're there because they're meeting some need, whether it's a need for comfort or excitement or other things. And so being compassionate with yourself about whatever behaviors you're currently doing and for whatever challenges you meet along the way but knowing that human beings are capable of change. We're, we're always changing and growing and learning. And habits are a great place to start. Natalie, thank you so much for investing your time once again on the show. It was, it's just wonderful to have been connected with you previously and to get to continue to read all your great work on The Chronicle and on, for the work that you do with your clients as well. And if people want to find out more about the coaching that you do, could you share a little bit about how they could get in touch with you? Sure. The best way is to go to my website, which is nmhouston.com. And you can read there under the coaching section about my approach to productivity coaching and how to get in touch with me. Thanks so much for being on the show again. Thank you. This was really fun.
Another big word of thanks to Dr. Natalie Houston. Thanks for being on the show and joining us for this conversation about habits. And speaking of habits, maybe you already have a habit of checking on the show notes, which will be at teachinginhighered.com slash 93. But if you'd like a cue coming in your inbox just once a week, that will include the show notes automatically. And it will also give you an article most weeks on either teaching or productivity written by me. And you can subscribe to that service at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. And I just want to say a really big word of thanks to all of you who have been going on iTunes or whatever service it is you use to listen to the show to give a rating or reviews. It really helps other people discover the show and is such an encouragement to me. And I just love to see how this community continues to grow. And thanks for all the nice emails as well. If you want to give any feedback on the show, you can do that at teachinginhighered.com slash feedback. I'd love to hear about any habits that you are seeking to form. I'll see you next episode. And thanks so much for listening.